This is a Rooster Teeth production. In the fall of 1841, 135 enslaved people were loaded onto a boat bound for the slave markets of New Orleans. The boat would never reach its destination, but rather its passengers would take control of the ship and reach the Bahamas and freedom. I'm Charlotte. I'm Patrick. Ahoy and welcome aboard Ship Hits the Fan, a podcast about some of history's most notable uh-ohs, whoopsies, and triumphs on the yeah. high seas. This is more of a positive one. Yeah, this one's, I mean, in the midst of very grim circumstances, a positive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The uh, Also, you may be thinking to yourself, hold on a second. Stop everything. What the hell is going on? Why is Charlotte reading today's episode? Why is Charlotte make, doing two in a it row? It doesn't make any sense. Well, we talked about it and people are just drawn to my, you know, sort of velvety I've heard uh, the op- tones. I've heard quite the opposite. Really? Yeah. People don't like it. They skip every week. That's weird that and now they're having it so forced into their face. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, we uh, we had a recording mishap. Unfortunately, we lost an episode. We're gonna re-record it, but uh, this this was initially planned to be the next week from when you're listening to its episode. The timeline, so we gets had to flip them. Up. Yeah, but if you're listening to this four years in the future, I, you can listen to them no, in whatever no order worries. you want. Yeah, yeah. Is there a shuffle uh, button on podcast apps? Because that sounds awful. Yeah, it does sound good. But you could try it. Yeah. Anyway, listen to the backlog, okay? You jokers. You can find a yeah. Patrick episode there. <laughs> okay. Uh, in lieu of an intro, uh, because I didn't feel like doing some goofy uh, rigmarole about slavery <laughs> and the slave trade uh, yeah. and how important it was to the American economy, uh-huh. uh, I'm just going to roll right into it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Although there are some really uh, fascinating figures, and, and it, it is uh, a, a rather heartening story when most about slavery are not. Well, because most of them end with the people, you know, mm-hmm. remaining in, in yeah, slavery. Yeah, in slavery, yeah. So. That's right. Yeah. Okay, well, let's get into it. Okay. Now. Are we ready? Mm-hmm. Is there anything we need to say? Thanks, no. everyone, for listening. Yeah, just We that. used to do that. Yeah, we don't, we're not grateful anymore. Oh. Yeah. We've gotten to that's that level thing. of success. That's, that's, that's impressive. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, screw you, audience. Yep. Let's get to it. In the 1800s, Richmond, Virginia was a slave town. Slavery and the sale of enslaved peoples was its primary trade, and it served as an initial stopping point for many slaves coming from overseas, as well as slaves being sold within the states. <laughs> yep. And keep in mind, this is a couple decades before the Civil War even kicks off. One of the largest companies working in the slave markets in Richmond was Johnson & Epperson. Their business model was simple. They would purchase (laughs) enslaved... Not good. Simple. Simple. (laughs) They would purchase enslaved people at a low price, either from traders overseas or locally from plantations. Sickening. Yeah, Uh, this is so bad. It's it's grim, yeah. Uh, But once they had purchased enough enslaved people to justify the cost of transport... They would load them onto one of their ships and sail them to New Orleans, which boasted the largest slave market at the time. Uh. Yeah, buckle up, folks. It's going to be a lot of this on the top. They owned multiple ships and kept them in constant rotation between Richmond and New Orleans. The company is single-handedly responsible for the sale and enslavement of thousands, potentially hundreds of thousands of people. Great. There are limited records that can give us official totals because they recorded actual people as, guess what? Nothing more than cargo. Very good. Yep. Yes. There it is. 
In the fall of 1841, Johnson and Epperson were preparing to transport a number of enslaved peoples. They had already gathered 103 from local plantations and were housing them in cargo pens near the dock. Cargo pens? Yeah, to clarify, they were typically using those pens for animal cargo. Mm -hmm. But now they were housing 103 people and they did keep them chained at all times okay. and they fed them only the minimum to keep them alive. I mean, yeah. They gave them no yep. additional protection from the elements, essentially treated worse than the animals that were typically kept in those pens. Yeah. Again, Disgusting. Starts real, real bad. Real, real bad. Uh, they had determined that 103 was not enough to justify the trip to New Orleans. Oh, okay. These are these are staunch capitalists. Mm -hmm. So they traveled to a local, larger slave market called Hampton Roads along the Chesapeake Bay and added them to their totals. I wonder if that's still a neighborhood along the Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, probably. I feel like they hung on to I'm the sure name. Sure it is. Additionally, they invited a man named Thomas McCarg. Okay. Um, a slave trader to share the cost of transport and travel with them along with the enslaved people he planned on selling. Yep. Uh, some accounts list his name as Tomic McCargo. Thomas McCargo? Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know if this is just like a, a goofy happenstance of uh, immigration names, or maybe it's just the Irish. It could be, yeah. They loaded up their ship, the Crayle, with over 135 enslaved people, a crew of 10, the captain's family, and large amounts of tobacco and other crops to be sold in addition to the enslaved people aboard the ship. Mm. The side hustle. Yeah. On top of all the terrible things Johnson and Epperson did. Like the slave trade. Yes, like, uh, like trading human beings as commodities. Mm -hmm. uh, they did make one crucial error. In preparing for this voyage. Okay. They put a man by the name of Madison Washington on board the ship. Okay. This is the hero of our story. This is one of the enslaved? Yes. Okay. He was not only a slave, but a formerly free man who, who had made it out of, uh, of slavery, mm -hmm. and he was also a charismatic figure. Okay. So it is impossible to overstate just how much Madison Washington had devoted his life to uh, upsetting the slave trade. Okay, cool. Yeah, there have actually been a handful of small movie projects based on him. He's one of the inspirations for Django Unchained. Okay. Uh, but none of these accounts truly capture his brave defiance in the face of slavery, torture, and even death. All right. So Madison Washington was born into slavery. Because birth and death records of enslaved people aren't always readily available, it's hard to know exactly when, but it was likely in the early 1800s. Mm -hmm. Despite being born into slavery, he never stopped. I'm just not going to say despite. Yeah. Born into slavery, he never stopped trying to obtain his freedom. Prior to his run-in with Johnson and Epperson, he had successfully made his way to Canada, effectively escaping slavery and becoming a free man, but that was not enough. Mm -hmm. Washington was married. However, his wife had been unable to escape alongside him. Ooh. He spent nearly all his time and the money afforded to him by his freedom searching for the woman he left behind. It took a considerable amount of effort, but he finally located his wife. Where? Where? In the cargo pens on the dock in Richmond, Virginia. Mm. Knowing that she was bound for New Orleans to be sold, where he would potentially lose track of her forever, Washington traveled to Virginia to intercept her. He deliberately allowed himself to be recaptured Holy and robbed shit. of his freedom yet again to rescue the woman he loved. Damn. Damn. Pro strats. Whoa. That is hardcore. Yeah. And so together... They boarded the Crayle, bound for New Orleans, and Washington formulated a plan. 
Ships used to transport enslaved people at this time were fairly unique in their construction. While they were often structured like merchant ships, they would also include the heavy artillery commonly associated with pirate ships. Really? Yeah. So while there are not many specific records of this ship, the Crayol, a record of similar ships at the time mentions that having a particularly large gun, mm -hmm. uh, at this time a cannon, fitted to the top decks of your ship identified you as either a slave trader or a pirate. In many cases, both. Okay. I'm not really clear on why. Uh, why having a big gun on your deck? Is, I mean, it probably just the military didn't do it. So if you had that, it meant you were ready to fight, but we're yeah, not I guess the military. So. You know? I don't know. That's Who knows? It's conjecture. I'm so sure someone that. knows. I'm sure it's someone actually knows. pretty easy to find out. Yeah. We're not well, going to do that? We're going to do the Friday meetings. Yeah, okay. <laughs> These guns were attached to a turntable that allowed them to swivel and attack in all directions. Just yeah, the so peak. You don't, you don't need a full set of cannons on your ship. You have one, one that can point in every gun, direction. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is, this is the zenith. Of of military uh, of, of of military, what am I trying to say? I have no idea. I don't know. Um, boats, naval. That's it. That's what I was going for. This is the 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 zenith, the epitome, the peak of naval military technology. No. Oh. Yeah. I think we're currently <laughs> in the peak of naval military technology. I feel like this is a step down from the cannons on both sides. <laughs> we still have cannons on boats. But... Okay. 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 What do you think? Have you ever seen like a ship, like a navy ship? No, I know, but this warship? one, the Crayol, did it have cannons on both sides? No, I don't think so. I think it just had the that's, one on so the So that's deck. what I'm saying. I'm making a, I'm, I'm joking. I'm making a joke about their big gun. Why can't you just roll with me on this? I would like one. <laughs> one big gun, please. Yeah. In addition to having the largest artillery outside military vessels, ships used to transport slaves also included giant cooking vessels along the bow of the ship. Hmm. This would often be the one feature differentiating pirates from slave traders, if there was any difference at all. Mm -hmm. These giant kettles were used to cook meals for the enslaved people on board. Crew meals were cooked separately. Oh yeah. For longer voyages across the Atlantic, meals would include meat and potentially vegetables grown on board. However, for the short voyage of the Crayol down the coast, it's most likely that the enslaved people would have only been given a single ration of cornmeal each morning. Ooh. This would have been the only time they could have moved freely between decks. Yeah. When Washington and his wife were initially loaded onto the Crayol, all of the enslaved people were kept in the forward hold. They were not allowed onto any of the upper decks or into any of the cabins except for their food rations. Mm -hmm. They were arranged laying down head to foot to fit the most people in the small it's hold. really monstrous yeah, stuff. If you've seen yeah. accounts of, of how these uh, voyages were arranged below decks, it's, it is Think of how cramped it could be, and then just sickening, even yeah. worse. And you're chained, and for a long time. Well, typically, enslaved people on these voyages would be chained, but for you know, maybe because the amount of chains needed were unavailable, or because they were able to get out of the chains, Washington was able to escape the forward hold by following a crew member who had lifted the grate, separating them from the rest of the ship. Okay. This was convenient because it allowed Washington to survey the ship and observe the patterns of the captain and crew. He gathered 17 other enslaved men on the ship, and they decided the only thing left to do was hijack the ship. Yeah, hell yeah. Yeah, right on. It's important to understand a few things about this voyage. First, even on older boats, it was only a few days voyage between Virginia and New Orleans, a week max. Mm -hmm. Ships at this time were capable of close to 12 knots with optimal wind. Whoa, slow down. <laughs> yeah. 
Woo! So speedy. Second, while the enslaved people absolutely outnumbered the slave traders, they also had no experience sailing on their own. Right. Yeah. So you might be able to take over the ship, but can you get it anywhere after you have it? <laughs> while searching the vessel, Washington was able to find a knife. He and the 17 other enslaved men captured and killed one of the slave traders, hell yeah, on the crew, and managed to wound the captain. All right. At the end of the very short rebellion, one slave trader was dead, mm -hmm. the captain and a handful of crew members were lightly wounded, but all would survive, and one of the enslaved people had died of injuries sustained during the fight. Okay. But as the dust settled, it was clear who now controlled the ship, and that was Madison Washington. Nice. Yeah. Because they had no sailing experience- Sailing? <laughs> Listen, I got a lot of mucus and stuff today. Leave me alone. You got an excuse every day. Yeah, and they're all valid. <laughs> because they had no sailing experience, Washington's crew demanded that one of the plantation overseers on board, William Merritt, navigated for them. Yeah. A guy with one of three names available at this time. It really is. Yeah, there's like not a lot. You can be a William. You can be a, I don't know. I think that's it. Yeah, that's the, it's just, just a William. The one. Yeah. It's important to note a few things here. When people hijack vehicles or, you know, any type of transportation vehicle today, they only have to maintain control for a matter of hours, and sometimes they still fail. Yeah. Many times. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of the times, if you're in a car chase or something, you do end up shot or something. But this is like, if they're caught... It's bad. Yeah. It's very bad. It's really, really, really bad. Like, like best the best case, case scenario is that you are still a slave. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, so this is this is practically do or die. Yeah. And they've not captained a vessel like this before. Yeah. Well, guess what? Madison Washington not only maintained control of the ship for about a week, but also forced his captors to navigate them to freedom. And throughout, almost none of the crew or Johnson and Epperson slave traders died. Good, that is, is, a, is a lot of <laughs> empathy. I know. Not yeah, just like, waste them. Yeah. At well, I guess if you, until once you're done with them, maybe so. I guess if you need them to get somewhere, yeah, I but suppose. Then, you know, yeah. At first, he demanded that Merritt navigate them to Liberia. There were colonies there for freed African Americans who wished to return to Africa. Mm -hmm. However, Merritt informed him that they did not have enough provisions for that journey, especially if he planned on actually feeding the enslaved people on board. Which oh, presumably, so if that wasn't did. part of the plan, then I mean, yeah, we can make it happen, fine. sure, yeah, okay. Madison. Yeah. However, right. So because this journey was never meant to be more than a week long, yeah, they didn't have any livestock or vegetables outside of pre-prepared meals for the crew. Mm -hmm. Unless everyone planned on living for weeks on fractions of their current cornmeal rations, they would have to end their voyage soon. And, you know, maintaining control of this vessel for a week, hard enough. Yeah. It, expand that out to uh, to get to this, uh, to Liberia, that is yeah. vastly more difficult. Mm -hmm. One of Washington's crew, Ben Blacksman, presented an alternative. The enslaved people of the Creole were not the first to hijack a slave ship and use it to travel to freedom. In fact, a somewhat similar situation had occurred aboard the Hermosa only one year prior. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. The Hermosa was sailing the same route from Richmond to New Orleans in 1840 when she got slightly off course and ran aground on the Abaco Islands. Where is that? I'm going to tell you. You don't know. Do you? <laughs> no, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I think uh, it's in the Bahamas. Yeah. Yeah. There isn't a ton of information as to why. Uh, most accounts cite unexpected winds coupled with fog that impacted their navigation abilities. Mm -hmm. Two of the worst things for a ship. A ship. Yeah. 
Except in this case. Regardless, they now found themselves way past their target destination and desperately in need of repairs to their ship. Because the Abaco Islands are part of the Bahamian Archipelago, at the time, called the British West Indies, they were controlled by Great Britain, not the United States. Oh. And Great Britain had abolished slavery in 1833, mm-hmm. about seven years before the Hermosa ran aground on their soil. Okay. And if there's one thing that Britain loved at this time, it was forcing the U.S. to comply with their laws. There's yeah, still a little bitter maybe about the... The or whole, 18, like, revolution. Or 1812 was only... I mean, 1812, definitely. Yeah. That was 10, like, only 20 years prior. Yeah. 21. And their food is bad. Was American food good? No. Certainly not. Right. They're all bitter. Yeah. Everyone's bitter. Yeah. <laughs> so they helped the crew of the Hermosa Dock in Nassau, where they then boarded the ship with soldiers, forcibly removing the enslaved peoples, freeing them, and then repairing the ship before sending it packing. <laughs> <laughs> Get! Go on! That's pretty good. I yeah, mean. it's not bad. Uh, You may be inclined to believe that Great Britain is in the right and doing a cool thing. Oh, is there a twist? They did. They just maybe weren't doing it for the right reasons. Well, I mean, they were still heavily involved in the American slave trade. Oh, yeah. While it was abolished. Oh, yeah. yeah, Great Britain. I think most of the pirates they had uh, deputized as privateers were also involved heavily in the slave trade. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Very likely Blackbeard. (laughs) I think definitely Blackbeard was. Definitely, yeah. yeah. While slavery had been abolished overseas, it was not without some disagreement and conflict along the way. Yeah, so there's still some uh, disagreements there. They weren't sure if it was okay yet. Yeah, naturally. Yeah. Well, seven years in on an island far from home, the Abaco Islands had only recently heard about the abolition. Mm -hmm. Tensions between the U.S. and Great Britain were well documented at the time. While we don't know those soldiers' particular feelings about abolitionism, We do know that the orders they received from their superiors were essentially mess up America's stuff whenever possible. I'm sure their opinion wasn't great. Probably not. I mean, even even like during this time period, like even the most tolerant of abolitionists were, I think, largely still like, well, we don't want to be. Yeah, engaging heavily in phrenology. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it's like, yeah, we shouldn't have slavery, but like, I don't. They can't stay here. Absolutely. It was that kind of a thing, you know. It was uh, bad. All around. <laughs> yeah, it really... Hell. Just hell. So British soldiers ordered to mess up American stuff. And so when an American vessel ran aground and their entire cargo was against this new British law, they saw an opportunity and they took it. There you go. Uh, and this is the Hermosa, remember. This wasn't even the first time something like this had happened. It had become kind of an unspoken rule for the British soldiers of the Caribbean ports. They had also freed the enslaved people of the Comet in 1830 as well as the Encomium in 1833 when both ships had been forced by weather to dock in their ports en route to New Orleans. What's crazy about both of these cases is that they predate Britain's formal abolition of slavery. Because of this, they were forced to pay back the cost of the enslaved people they had freed. Britain was? I suppose so. Okay. Regardless of their motives, this presented an opportunity for Madison Washington. Mm -hmm. Washington's group requested that they sail to the British West Indies, and Merritt complied. I don't think he had a lot of options. The Crail arrived in Nassau, Bahamas a few days later on November 9th, 1841. The ship was boarded by the local harbor pilot who was responsible for arranging the docking of the ships along with his crew. The crew of the Crail was shocked and dismayed to find that the harbor pilot along with his entire crew were all free black Bahamians. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, they addressed all of the enslaved people on the ship and told them that they were free to go with the exception of Washington's group. Okay. Hmm. The Bahamian quarantine officer came aboard to record what had happened during the voyage. 
Seeing that the captain was badly wounded and one crew member was dead, they held Washington's group on board the ship. Hmm. Meanwhile, they transported the first mate, Zephaniah Gifford, to the American consulate to inform the American consul of the attack on the crew. I guess that's the second name. Yeah. Maybe a William or a Zephaniah. Zephaniah. After hearing the account of the first mate, the American consul reached out to the governor of the Bahamas and asked that he station soldiers on board the Crail to prevent the escape of Washington and his group. Mm -hmm. Specifically, the consul also attempted to gather local American sailors to take back the Crail and sail it out of British waters with Washington and his group still aboard so they could be executed. There it is, yep. Yeah. However, there was one problem. When the consul had requested soldiers, those soldiers were tasked with acting in the interests of the British crown, not American interests. Right. Yeah. It seems clear in hindsight, but maybe the American consul was like, oh, great. Yeah. Yeah, do this for us. Yeah. So as the group of American sailors approached November 12, 1841 with intent to commandeer the ship and sail it out of British waters, a local Bahamian revealed their position to the soldiers on board the Crail. The next day, the Bahamian attorney general boarded the ship and told Washington and his group that they would be imprisoned pending a trial. All other enslaved people from the ship would remain free and could travel freely in Nassau and all other British colonies. Sure, they were trying to enslave you, and you managed to fight back and only killed one of them. Yeah, that's but, not going to uh, fly. This, this is going to try. Yeah, let's get this to trial. Yeah, well, fortunately... Now free, many of the people from the Creole would continue on to Jamaica, and in some cases, onto the United States following the Civil War. Mm -hmm. All but three women and two children chose to go ashore and claim their freedom. It's unclear why these few stayed, and we don't have records of their names, only that they would eventually continue onto the New Orleans slave market and be sold. Whoa. In all likelihood, they, like Washington, were hoping to be reunited with their families. Wow, God, that's grim. Yeah, that's an awful Ooh. choice. Washington and his group were indeed imprisoned, pending a trial. However, the governor also ordered that the American conspirators be imprisoned as well. <laughs> In the governor's eyes, the conspirators had broken British law and were equally, if not more, guilty. Okay. All right, getting All right. something. Yeah. With the threat of imprisonment looming, the American consul dropped their request for the enslaved people to be returned. Yeah. This was primarily to downplay their involvement in the conspiracy, which could have easily become an international incident. Mm-hmm. Since there was no extradition treaty between the U.S. and Great Britain at the time, they refused to return any of the formerly enslaved people as criminals, and also under British law, they were not cargo and therefore had no monetary value. Because they were people? That's right, okay. yeah. In the eyes of Great Britain, nothing had been stolen at all. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Liberated. Sure, Not yeah. stolen. Not only were all of the formerly enslaved people free immigrants to Great Britain, the group who had commandeered the ship on the way to New Orleans were all well within their British and maritime rights to use force to escape illegal detention or enslavement. Okay, so that, then, is, that is what I was asking but yeah. earlier, but yeah. Essentially, Great Britain considered Washington and his men well within their rights to attempt escape and self-defense, even if it meant killing one or more of their captors. Yeah, because they were kidnapped. That's right. Pressure from the American consulate still required a trial, so months later in April of 1842, Washington and his men were indicted on charges of piracy. But since in the eyes of Great Britain, no monetary value was stolen, again, mm -hmm. uh, the court declared them not guilty and they were free to live out their lives in any British colony of their choosing. By the time of the trial, the Crail had already departed back to the United States. This happened for two reasons. Mm -hmm. First, they had to fulfill contracts back in New Orleans, 
And second, and probably most importantly, they had to get off British soil as soon as possible. Yeah. Maybe realizing that every scheme they cooked up would be foiled by not being in America. Yeah. They were technically guilty of false imprisonment and false enslavement, as well as a conspiracy against the soldiers on the Crail. That conspiracy was considered treason adjacent. Okay. Okay, so none of them wanted to wait around and find out what would happen if they stayed uh, in town. Yeah. As soon as they secured supplies and replacements for the few crew members who had either died during the revolt or were imprisoned during the conspiracy, they sailed away before the governor could order them to stay. Mm -hmm. Less than a year later, the Creole sailed for Portugal. While they completed their journey successfully, after docking the ship in the harbor at Funchal, Madeira, it was destroyed in port by a violent storm. Okay. Maybe karma. Yeah. A little bit of both. Yeah. Rough so there waters. was a shipwreck in here. There was a shipwreck. That's right. All right. <laughs> Before the Creole was wrecked by a storm in the ports of Portugal, they reached the States and word quickly spread about what had happened, prompting a discussion around a trade treaty with Great Britain to protect what America viewed as cargo. Again, humans. Right. The Webster-Ashburton Treaty was the result, and it was ratified in both the U.S. and Great Britain. The treaty defined a list of crimes that would prompt extradition to either country, but conspicuously absent among them was being an escaped enslaved person. Rather, the treaty called for the end of the slave trade on the seas. There was also a conversation taking place within the United States around the Creole and how the legality of the situation applied to free and slave states within the U.S. Some free states refused to extradite enslaved people across state lines, while others had established agreements around bounty hunting and returning enslaved peoples. Yeah. Yeah, guess which states those were. Abolitionist William E. Channing published a pamphlet that year titled The Duty of the Free States or Remarks Suggested by the Case of the Crayle. They love to offer an alternative title. Yeah. <laughs> or. I know. A much longer thing. In this pamphlet, he argued that not only should enslaved people not be considered property in free ports, but also in free states. Mm -hmm. Reasonable. Yeah. But this seemed to fall on deaf ears. 10th President John Tyler, uh, very forgettable of yeah, the 46, yeah. supported Southerners considering people as enslaved across state lines in free ports. So basically just, you know. They're slaves everywhere to yeah, the Southerners. Yeah, yeah, His Secretary of State, Daniel Webster, formally admonished the United Kingdom for repeatedly freeing U.S. enslaved people in their Caribbean ports. Oh, yeah, boo-hoo. Naughty, naughty. In the 1850s, Great Britain would even settle for some of the cost of the freed enslaved people in an attempt at diplomacy with the U.S. However, in March of 1842, Joshua Reed Giddings, a representative from Ohio introduced nine resolutions regarding the legality of freeing enslaved people over state and international lines. He argued that the government acting to enforce state laws on behalf of slaveholders was inappropriate. Okay. Additionally, since the treaty had effectively made coastal slave trade illegal on an international scale, any enslaved person on our coastal waters was effectively free. Yeah. Congress was not having it, and they censured him. Oh, of course. He resigned in protest, only to be re-elected to his own vacated seat two months later. The Come American on. political machine chugging along, <laughs> as always, oh, <laughs> just yeah. being like, eh, let's just go back to how it was. Yeah, yeah. The Crayol case became a rallying cry for abolitionists across the country, but it would take an additional 20 years from the time the Crayol landed in Nassau until the U.S. would begin the Civil War and our own journey towards abolition. Thankfully, Madison Washington spent the bulk of those 20 years free in the Bahamas with his wife. Hell yeah. Yeah. Shouts out to Madison Washington. Yeah. It's, um, I don't know, just, it's, it's, 
Knowing how America operates today, the idea of such a massive change being wrought by, uh, you know, formerly enslaved people and abolitionists to actually make that happen in the U.S. in any period of time is amazing. Like, yeah, and like, just I love that this dude just was able to just live out his life free. In yeah, the Bahamas. after already achieving freedom and then being like, yeah. I'm going back in. Yeah, I'm getting my. And then life. he won. And then he won. He did it. And they tried to get him on some trumped up charges of, yep. uh, of freeing himself. Mm-hmm. And then he still, he won that. Yeah. So, you know, it's good, good for one. Madison, Washington. Yeah. It's a it's, nice one. It's a nice one. It, it, it ends pretty positively. Yeah. Uh, granted, bittersweet. I mean, yeah, and slavery it, still in continued that, in on. That, it, uh, I mean, it seemed to lead to further scrutiny uh, into this type of uh, action by enslaved yeah. people yeah. Uh, on the, uh, in the seas. But- in this small case, it worked out for these people on this ship yeah. who got to live out their lives. Yeah. And in a beautiful locale, might the I say. Bahamas. Yeah, seriously. Come on. Gorgeous. Um, so yeah, that is our uh episode. <laughs> that was a good one. Yeah, it was it was it was really interesting. I learned a lot. I, I like the ones where it's uh where it branches out into different places. Yeah. I like learning. <laughs> right. Yeah. And You're also saying names, and boy, were there some names yeah. in this episode. Uh, speaking of names, you're bad at it. Do you want to what? <laughs> huh? Do I want to what? Do I want to what? Do I want? Go on. Just what? Foghorn. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which no ship would have that horn. The ship is wrecking it's on the shoals. <laughs> it's not working. It's a rejected horn. <laughs> So today's honorable mention, August 21st, 2016. Thousands of Americans have taken to the St. Clair River in personal flotation devices. Okay. By the time the day was done, 1,500 Michiganders would be in Canada, never to be seen again. And then in parentheses, I have bust home. <laughs> it's it's, fu- it's fun. Because they were seen again. They were, they were just bust home at the end. It's fun to be like, all right, let's check in on Americans 200 years later. Let's... Let- <laughs> <laughs> Parents got me. <laughs> I'm me going and, to Canada. Me and 1,499 of my best friends are getting in the river. So we here in the USA, we love floating down rivers. I don't yeah, know if people know Yeah, some places that. call it floating. Some places call it tubing. Yeah, yeah. But some, it's, I mean, it's the same thing. it's a lazy river. It's the same thing. Tubing is, yeah. It's the same thing, yeah. From Austin, Texas to Somerset, Wisconsin, where I went to Warped Tour in 2003. Wow. There are a few things we love more than getting dangerously drunk and floating down large, unpredictable bodies of water. Uh, pro tip, if you plan on tubing in the Delaware River, go mm. off the Jersey side, not the Pennsylvania side, because okay. the Jersey side has a hot dog float about halfway down the, the where you can the get route, hot dogs. Where you can get a hot dog in uh, your float. And this is a wide river? It's a quite wide river. But if, you, okay. if you're if you coming from the Pennsylvania side, you no don't get a dogs. wristband to get a hot dog. Oh, you get wristbands. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah, and and it's it's specifically Jersey dogs. So, so I would I I, I would say you know take off dog. from well I mean just for Jerseys, just New Jersey. I would just say take off from the west bank of the Delaware River. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. All west bank. <laughs> so in Port Huron that day, that this great American pastime forever besmirched thousands of people. East, huh? The East Bank. New Jersey of is the east river. of Pennsylvania, yes. Okay. Leave all of that in, though, so people know that she did get it wrong. <laughs> but then that I did get it right. Thousands of people gathered at the St. Clair River. Have you been? I have not. I haven't either. 
I, I can't imagine I ever will go. We'll add it to the Ship Hits yeah. the Fan pilgrimage list. Uh, this is for the annual Port Huron float down, very close to Lake Huron. And for a while, everything went according to plan, and then the rains and the wind came. This is like the people version of the Cleveland balloon incident. Kind of, yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah. Like, Except I don't think anyone died. I think it's like, you know. But we, we still don't know if those fishermen the died. They we were do. just not found. No, I think we definitely, they definitely, or they left their wives and families. I just remember that you couldn't find their uh, their life jackets amid the thousands of balloons floating. Yes. <laughs> yep. Anyway. Port Huron is only a couple thousand feet from Sarnia, I'm guessing is how you say that. But Sarnia? It's Canada, and as someone who's from kind of that kind of that part of the world, I know that they'll f- we'll find a way to really devastate any pronunciation. There's a city in Minnesota called New Prague. <laughs> you know how it's spelled? Can I guess? Yeah. N-E-U-P-R-A-G-G. Oh, no, no, no. It's like New Prague. Like the oh, city Prague, Prague, but it's called, but it's pronounced Prague. That makes sense because you, because you say have a bit of pronunciation on that kind of thing. Yeah, no, for sure. But like, but I see, I, the, can I say, see the common. I can threads. say Prague. Right. You just choose not. to. I see that word. Not, yeah. Um. Anyway, not that far. It's like three thousand feet from the Canadian border, which is exactly where these fifteen hundred, presumably very, very drunk. <laughs> Americans ended up. And very pruny. Yes. Uh, and needless to say, oh, and so if you're unfamiliar with with the practice of floating, basically, you know, you're in an inner tube. Yeah. Like a floaty inner tube. And or it like, sounds like there was some other kind of homebrewed flotation device. Yeah, yeah. And like they make they make one specifically for this type of thing. Where with it's cup like, holders. It's like, uh, yeah, it's got cup holders. It's got like a cooler bin in the middle. Well, it's you got can, like five yeah, seats yeah. for like all your buddies. You could also do something where you just get a float specifically for the cooler. Yes. And, and tie yeah, that that's to pretty, yours. Yeah. 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 Um, Damn, I want to go. Or like little rafts and stuff. I Well, like next time we're in Texas, maybe. Okay. Because um, they got it in Texas. They do. They sure do. They float. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, they did not have passports or probably any form of identification because they were all in swimsuits and floating down a river, drinking. I think uh, even if they had the proper, you know, pocket. I mean, it still would have been like, yeah, I don't think it would have been any more convenient. What's the problem? We're yeah. in America. So, you know, washing up on the shores of a different nation was <laughs> maybe not ideal. Uh, although if you've been to the Canadian border, it seems it's pretty Kinda lax chill, up yeah. there. Yeah. Depending on where you are, I think. Oh, hey, but do like, you want to go to the second city? I'll say, yeah, the Midwest, Toronto? the Midwest Canadian border is like. You wouldn't even know it's two different countries. Yeah. There's yeah. like a turnstile or something. In it's between it's the blurred two. out. Yeah. So they were eventually shipped back to the States by bus, but the Canadian Coast Guard was very cross indeed. They cited the fact that the event had no official organizer and then a bunch of stuff about just general reckless behavior and all that. But I feel like you're going to be bitter if you're an inland Coast Guard member. Yeah, exactly. It's classic Canadian buzzkill behavior. <laughs> They've been doing it to us for years. Yeah, don't put your toque on so tight. Yeah. What does the Coast Guard do up on Lake Huron? I guess ship, Admonish, ship rescue? Uh, um, American Michigan refugees. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I'm sure there's all kinds of things because they have tides, right? These lakes... They're well, so this is a massive. oh the Great Lakes yeah yeah I mean the Great Lakes are very dangerous <laughs> yeah as as demonstrated on the show yeah um is Port Port Huron is you know I would assume connected to Lake Huron yes it is Lake Huron yeah. okay I thought so yeah, yeah. I don't know you responded in such uh, a way no. that I doubted Look, myself uh, I'm gonna show you a photo right now but that's the U S side that's Canada this is Lake Huron this is the float area and they floated. Downriver into Canada? 
Or does it float uh, I don't, like I don't the know. Nile? I mean, I imagine they floated downriver. Yeah, they probably started it up by the Blue Water Bridge or maybe by Beer Knots Carpet One Floor and Home. They could have started by <laughs> Bell Tire uh, or Thomas st- Edison Park, the Bridge to Bay Trail even. Um, Do tires float? And then on the other side at the Starlight Casino Point Edward mm-hmm. or the Bridgeview Marina maybe is where they wound up or maybe Lambton College Legacy Project. They could have ended up at the Ho- Insignia Hotel Sarnia or the Tin Fiddler. As ever in these Americas, industry is drawn to flowing water. Yeah. Like tire shops and casinos. Yep. Yep. So uh, stop, next time you're on the St. Clair River, mm-hmm. do two things. Bring your passport. Number one. And get ready for a good time because yep. there's plenty to do on the banks. Yeah. On the shores. All right. Thanks, everybody. Oh, uh, you want to name names? Yeah, I do want to name okay. names. I do want to say that the show is written by Paige Wesley. Yep. I do want to say that the show is edited by Kelly Reynolds. And I do want to say that the art is made by Stevie Jude. Yes. And I also want to say that I'm Charlotte Avery. And I'm Patrick Brown. You sure are. May your bones bleach in these sands. Bye, everybody. Bye.